Episode 7 Mary Queen of Scots In 1560, another astonishing twist to our drama was about to unfold in France. Following the death of her father on the 14th of December, 1542, in Falkland Fife, Mary Stuart, King James V's only surviving legitimate child, inherited the Scottish throne at just six days old. The following September, Catholic Cardinal David Beaton, the Archbishop of St Andrews, crowned the nine-month-old Mary Stuart Queen of Scotland in the Chapel Royal at Stirling Castle. During Mary's childhood, Scotland was governed by James Hamilton, Earl of Arran, heir presumptive to the throne, and later by her mother Mary of Guise. A French noblewoman, Mary of Guise had served as the Queen Consort of Scotland from 1538 to 1542. Sent away to France by her mother to avoid the Anglo-Scottish conflicts, Mary Queen of Scots was brought up in the court of King Henri II of France from the tender age of five. Henri's reign, from 1547 to 1559 was marked by the persecution of Protestants, mainly the Calvinists or Huguenots. Hoping to establish a dynastic claim to the Kingdom of Scotland, Henri planned to marry the young Mary to his son, the even younger Dauphin Francois. François II was born on January 1544, the eldest son of King Henri II and Catherine de' Medici. On 24 April 1558, Mary Stuart Queen of Scots, married François II in Notre-Dame Cathedral Paris. Wearing a lavishly decorated white gown, her auburn hair and pale complexion gave her a strikingly unconventional impression. By tradition in France, white was especially reserved for royal mourning. At the time, Mary was 15 years old, while Francois was 14. Their male issue would have been the king of both France and Scotland, and a claimant to the English throne. On 10 July, 1559, less than a year into his marriage, Francois unexpectedly became the French king. His father, Henri, was wounded in a jousting tournament in the Place Royale Paris, and had died. A broken lance had entered his right orbit, destroying his eye and leaving behind many wooden splinters. The skull was not penetrated but infection spread intracranially. On 10 July, Henri II of France received his last sacraments in the morning and died that afternoon. He was 40 years old. Throughout its history, the French city of Rheims had been witness to a significant number of royal coronations. The city's cathedral housed the Holy Ampulla of Chrism or Holy Anointing Oil, and from 1027 to 1825, 29 French kings would be anointed and receive their crowns there. On 21 September, 1559, aged 15, Francois II was crowned King of France in the Cathedral of Rheims by his uncle Charles the Cardinal of Lorraine. A sickly and weak-willed young man, Francois soon became a tool of the Guises who saw an opportunity for power and a chance to break the Huguenots' influence within the French kingdom. François' reign was marked by religious turmoil. His oppressive and unwarranted acts against Protestantism led to the Amboise plot, a conspiracy that sought to overthrow not just the king, but also the House of Guise. 
Sadly, a disaster was soon going to strike again at the very heart of the French monarchy. The French boy king, Francois II, aged 15, died on 5 December 1560 in Orleans, of a septic ear infection. 17-year-old Mary was grief-stricken. Although her marriage had been a political match, aimed at unifying the countries of France and Scotland, Mary was sincerely fond of her husband Francois. However, the marriage was believed not to have been consummated due to their ages. Mary summed up the contemporary ideal of a Renaissance princess, with a tall, slender figure, red-gold hair, amber-colored eyes, and her appreciation of music and poetry. She had been brought up at the court of King Henri's his queen Catherine de Medici, and as a result, Mary identified herself more as a Frenchwoman than a Scot. Crowned Queen of Scots at just nine months old, married, crowned Queen Consort of France and widowed, all by the time she was 18 years old, Mary Stuart's life was nothing if not eventful. Following the death of her husband, Mary was advised by the Guises to return to Scotland. On 19 August, 1561, Mary Queen of Scots, sailed into Leith and took up residence at Holyrood House Edinburgh, returning to a country she had last seen aged five. Her sheltered upbringing in France had not equipped her to deal with the challenges she would encounter as the Queen of Scotland. While still living in France, Mary had boldly incorporated England's heraldic emblem into her own, implicitly proclaiming her legitimate claim to the British monarchy. As a result Queen Elizabeth harbored some resentment towards Mary Stuart, and was now refusing to recognize her as her legitimate heir. During Mary's absence, Scotland had transitioned to Protestantism, while she had remained a Roman Catholic, leading many, John Knox included, viewing her as a foreign queen with a different religious belief. Despite Knox's strong opposition, Mary governed successfully and with moderation during the early years of her reign. Supported by her half-brother James, Earl of Murray, her policy of religious acceptance contributed significantly to her success. Nevertheless, Knox's powerful influence always posed the risk of division, bitterness, and disaster. On Mary's arrival, John Knox, by way of a welcoming committee, organized the singing of the psalms outside her window. Mary, well aware that this was intended as a promotion of Protestantism, politely said how much she had enjoyed the music and hoped they would return. On the first Sunday after her arrival, Mary attended Mass in her chapel along with some of her Catholic nobles. The following week, from St. Giles's pulpit, Knox delivered his most strident sermon to date, crying, A single Mass fills me with more dread than would a thousand armed adversaries storming our land. By tolerating the Queen's idolatry, you will unleash the wrath of God upon us. Queen Mary, keen to establish her authority, and perhaps eager to meet her opponent, immediately sent for him. She accused him of promoting rebellion and encouraging her subjects to defy her authority, and all because she was a woman. Knox responded that whilst he did not believe women had any right to be monarchs, if the Scottish nation accepted her, he would live under her rule as contentedly as St. Paul had lived under that of Nero, finally pronouncing that any monarch, regardless of gender, could be defied if they became tyrants. The influence and impact of John Knox's Book of Common Order was significantly enhanced by his return to Scotland. In 1562, the Scottish General Assembly recommended using Knox's Book of Common Order in the administration of sacraments, marriage ceremonies and funerals. 
Although initially drawn up and printed on the continent, by now it had become so popular in Scotland that it warranted publication by Robert Lechprevik of Edinburgh. In December, Knox preached a sermon publicly criticizing Mary's fondness for dancing, accusing her and her wider household of indecorum at best. This was a serious accusation, a queen who led an immoral life, or condoned it in her servants would swiftly lose respect and authority. Mary understood this, and once again summoned Knox, angrily accusing him of bringing her into disrepute. Knox denied it, adding that those who would not listen to God's truth might have to listen to false rumors. Knox further stated that he did not entirely object to dancing, provided it did not lead to the neglect of religion. Mary drew back a little, saying that his remarks had been reported to her differently, and in future, if Knox had any reason to criticize her behavior, he should come to her. However, Knox declined her offer, remarking he would continue to express his beliefs in his sermons, regardless of whether Mary approved them. The 39 Articles of Religion are the historically defining statements of doctrine and practices within the Church of England. They were developed amid the disputes that arose during the English Reformation. The articles form part of the Book of Common Prayer used by the Church of England, the U.S. Episcopal Church, the Anglican Church in North America, and various other denominations. This also applies to the communities that are part of the Global Anglican Communion and the Anglican Continuum. The 39 articles were crucial in defining the Church of England's doctrine regarding Calvinist beliefs and Roman Catholic practices, and went through five major revisions before being finalized in 1571. The first attempt was made in 1536, under Henry VIII, with the Ten Articles, which had some Protestant leanings due to the English desire for a political alliance with German Lutheran princes. Next came the Six Articles in 1539, which moved away from all reformed positions, and then, in 1545 came the King's Book, which set about re-establishing most of the earlier Roman Catholic doctrines. For a brief period in 1553, the 42 Articles were the official doctrinal statement of the Church of England. Written by Archbishop Thomas Cranmer and published by King Edward VI Privy Council. It represented the height of official church reformation before the reign of Queen Elizabeth. It staked out a position among the Protestant movements of the day, opposing Anabaptist claims and disagreeing with the Zwinglian position without taking an explicitly Calvinist or Lutheran approach. Matthew Parker, the Archbishop of Canterbury, led the Convocation of 1563 which introduced the 39 Articles of Religion. The 39 Articles were finalized in 1571 and incorporated into the Book of Common Prayer. The book, despite not ending the struggle between Catholic and Protestant monarchs and their citizens, did help to standardize the English language. Its widespread use has had a lasting effect on religion in the United Kingdom and elsewhere. After becoming Queen in 1558, it became clear to Elizabeth and her ministers that a new statement of doctrine was required. In 1563, an assembly of clerics, known as the Canterbury Convocation, embarked on its task to restructure the 42 Articles. Their decisions helped consolidate the Elizabethan religious settlement and would bring the 39 Articles closer to their final form. The Convocation opened on 15 January with a sermon by William Day, provost of Eton College and supporter of the previous six Articles of 1539. 
the Convocation approved the 39 Articles as a confessional statement for the Church of England. The ministers also planned to propose alterations to ecclesiastical law and the religious ceremony. Their goals included, eliminating certain clothing items, banning kneeling during communion, altering the usage of the cross in baptism ceremonies and amending the choice of music played within church services. Some clergy members introduced these reforms privately to their congregations in the following years. For example, at Cambridge, William Fulk convinced his students not to wear their surplices and to hiss at students who did. To address the issue, Archbishop Parker issued a series of notifications demanding consistency in the attire of clergy members. Born in London, William Falk received his education at St. John's College Cambridge, graduating in 1557-58 and becoming a fellow at St. John's in 1564. In the Vestiarian dispute, he took on a prominent role, urging the college to stop using the surplus. His behavior resulted in his removal from St. John's. However, in the year 1567, he was welcomed back into the college and assigned duties as a Hebrew lecturer and preacher. After standing unsuccessfully for the headship of the college in 1569, he left to become chaplain to Robert Dudley, the first Earl of Leicester and close friend of Queen Elizabeth. In 1578, he was elected Master of Pembroke Hall, Cambridge. As a Puritan controversialist, he was remarkably active. In 1580, the Bishop of Ely appointed him to defend Puritanism against the Catholics, and in 1581 he was involved in a dispute against the Jesuit priest Edmund Campion. A third confrontation between Knox and the Queen occurred at Easter 1563, when Mary heard that priests in Ayrshire had been caught conducting a mass, an act forbidden by law. She summoned Knox and asked him to persuade his co-religionists to desist from persecuting anyone for their religion. Knox replied that it was her duty to enforce the law, defending the Protestants' actions, explaining that if the Queen would not uphold the law, then others would, and have God's approval. Similarly, those who prevented rulers from acting against innocent men were also righteous. Mary was irritated but surprised Knox by agreeing to bring the priests before the courts to face justice. On 24 June 1563, a further heated and intense exchange took place between Mary and Knox. Knox had annoyed many of his supporters by preaching against Mary's intention to marry, and so had limited support when he answered Mary's summons. She had not yet identified a suitable spouse, but was negotiating with various Catholic princes, including Don Carlos, the mentally unstable eldest son and heir apparent of King Philip II of Spain. The Queen, still only 21, was now at her wit's end. She told Knox that she had endured his diatribes against her and had tried every possible way to reconcile him, but without success. Knox responded declaring that once divine enlightenment allows her to acknowledge her mistakes, she will understand there is no reason to be disturbed by my honest sermons. Mary asked, what divine authority granted him the right to discuss her marriage? He replied that it was his duty to ensure that none of her nobles should agree to a marriage with an ungodly husband. If she were to marry such a man, they would implement restrictions to prevent her and any future husband from harming the Kirk. Mary cried again, Knox telling her that he took no joy in her tears, he could scarcely bear to see his sons cry when he had to punish them. But as he had spoken only the truth, he would have to endure her tears. 
Knox was sent from the room whilst Mary composed herself. Mary couldn't bear to see Knox again. Although persuaded not to reprimand him for his comments, she never again requested his presence in a private setting. There was no hope of them finding an accommodation. From 1563 to 1569, the second part of the Vestiarian controversy took place in the English Reformation. This particular controversy occurred early in Queen Elizabeth's reign, when in 1449, she reintroduced the tradition of wearing vestments within the royal chapel. From 1560 onwards, the bishops made it mandatory for the clergy to wear a cope during Holy Communion and a surplus during other church services. Despite objections from some Protestants in Parliament and Convocation, the authorities continued to enforce these requirements. The Bishops' Conference, which took place in February 1560 was able to reach a compromise. They rejected the wearing of the crucifix, but decided to retain the wearing of the cope during Holy Communion and a surplus in other services. The wearing of such rags of the Roman Antichrist irritated the extreme reformers who wanted worship purified from all taint of popery. Elizabeth demanded that the bishops take action to restore uniformity and resolve the situation. In response to the Queen's directive in 1563, Archbishop Parker collaborated with Edward Grindal the London bishop and others, to compile a book of ecclesiastical articles. Parker forwarded the manuscript to William Cecil, anticipating its acceptance by the Queen. To Parker's intense frustration, Cecil delayed and did not give his approval or forward them to the Queen, instead, he requested that modifications should be made, and the articles resubmitted. The articles were later titled as advertisements. The Acts and Monuments, popularly known as Fox's Book of Martyrs, is a famous work by the Protestant English historian John Fox. First published in 1563. John Fox's Acts and Monuments is a Protestant martyrology and history of the Christian Church. The publisher produced and illustrated the book with over 60 distinctive woodcut impressions. At the time, it was the most significant publishing project ever undertaken in England. Known as Fox's Book of Martyrs, this remarkable piece of literature stands out for its powerful anti-Catholic bias, using unprecedented documentary sources in English writing. Fox describes King John's sudden death in 1216, portraying him in a favorable light as a noble monarch who defied the papacy, which contrasts with how he is depicted in later historical accounts. In it, Fox restated the 13th-century accusation that monks loyal to the Pope had poisoned King John. An accompanying woodcut tells the story in six separate scenes. After testing the venom on a frog, a fanatical monk from Swine's Head Abbey Lincolnshire poisoned King John before committing suicide, a sacrifice for which his fraternity eternally praised him. The book had a profound impact and played a significant role in forming enduring negative perceptions of Catholicism among the populace. It presented compelling narratives detailing the hardships endured by Protestants under the Catholic Church, with a notable focus on England and Scotland. The book went through four editions in Fox's lifetime and several later editions and abridgments, including some that specifically reduced the text to a book of martyrs. Richard Bancroft, born on September 12, 1544 in Farnworth, Widnes Cheshire, was the second son of John and Mary Kerwin Bancroft, who were members of the upper class. He began his university education in 1563 when he was 19, 
initially enrolling at Christ's College Cambridge. However, he successfully transferred to Jesus College Cambridge, wishing to escape from the ardent Puritanism present at Christ's. Following on from its publication in 1562, an enlarged and revised edition of Knox's Book of Common Order was printed in Edinburgh in 1564. The General Assembly made its use obligatory, ordering that every minister, preacher and church reader should have a copy and use it, not just for marriage and the sacraments but for prayers. The book embodied the law of the Church of Scotland as to public worship for over 80 years from 1564 to 1645, and effectively replaced the second book of Edward VI at ordinary service. On 26 March, 1564, John Knox caused a minor controversy when he married Margaret Stuart, the daughter of an old friend Andrew Stuart, and a distant relative of Mary Stuart Queen of Scots. The marriage was unusual because he was a widower of 50, while his bride was only 17. Very little is known regarding their home life, although they did have three daughters.